Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hi, Stephen Price here. Just a warning, this podcast contains violence and quite a bit of bad language, so take care of yourself while you're listening. There's a question Bruce Morecambe used to dread. When somebody asks you, just in small talk, you know, you're meeting someone the first time or, you know, in a party, whatever it may be, and someone says, oh, how many kids have you got? Twenty years ago, Bruce's son Daniel, who was 13, went out to go Christmas shopping. He never came back. He was last seen by a bus stop near his house in Maruchidor on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. It was a massive search, but it was no good. So how can Bruce answer that question? He met a mother of another missing child. She told him she'd just lie. It's difficult to comprehend the pain and the potential failure you feel as a, as a, a parent saying, look, I, I don't know where my child is. The question became easier for Bruce to answer in 2011 when police charged Brett Peter Cowan with Daniel's murder. They'd caught him in an undercover police operation called Mr Big. Cowan confessed to Mr Big and showed him where he'd put Daniel's body. Some of Daniel's remains were found there. Cowan was convicted in 2014 and sentenced to life in jail. So, obviously, um, the retrieval of Daniel's remains was an incredible relief for the family. We could lay our boy to rest. He was at peace. We have somewhere to go, lay flowers, have a silent prayer, whatever it may be. Bruce says it also meant that at last someone was being held responsible. And that mattered too. When you step back and take a look at the Mr Big Sting, you're, you'd be in the camp that emphasises that it, it can bring justice to victims? Totally. Yeah, it can. So this Mr Big technique is powerful. It works. It solves murders that probably couldn't be solved any other way. Killers are brought to justice. Bereaved relatives can finally understand what happened and bury their loved ones. It seems fitting that the resolution comes from the mouths of the culprits themselves. Could there be any better evidence? I'm Stephen Price and this is Mr Little Meets Mr Big, the podcast about where the police can invent a story to get to the truth about a murder. In this episode, we take a close look at how the Mr Big sting works. Can there be any better evidence? The 19-year-old target fell in love with the operative. Incompetent murderers don't need Mr. Big to be caught. Oh, I think there should be no Mr. Big operations. The first use of a Mr. Big type sting seems to have been in Canada in 1901. A man named John Gordon was found shot to death on the streets of Winnipeg. Who killed him? The police couldn't be sure, but they suspected a man named Donald Todd. So the police chief hired two men, who weren't even police officers, to investigate. Those men hatched a cunning plan. They pretended to belong to a violent criminal gang and asked Donald Todd if he wanted to join. He could make piles of money. There was just one catch. 
he had to prove to them that he'd committed some serious crime. He confessed to the murder of John Gordon. He was convicted. He appealed, and at his appeal hearing, believe it or not, both the Crown and the defence wanted the confession thrown out. The judge didn't like it either. He called it vile. He said, The means employed in this case to obtain the confession were contemptible, but it does not seem to be a sufficient ground for excluding the evidence. Why not? In part because he found it hard to believe that the trick could possibly lead someone to confess to murder if they were innocent. Why on earth would anyone confess if they weren't guilty? The Mr Big Sting was worked out in much more detail in the early 90s by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the Mounties, in British Columbia. It has since been used throughout Canada and in Australia and New Zealand. It often works. It turns out that using lies is a good way to get at the truth. And it's not against the law. In fact, it was designed to get around tight new rules about interviewing suspects in custody. If the suspect's not in custody, the police don't need to worry about those interviewing rules. So how does the Mr Big Sting play out? First up is figuring out when to use it. It's not for your run-of-the-mill killing. Incompetent murderers don't need Mr Big to be caught. That's Mark Stobie, a Canadian sociologist who's written a book about Mr Big Stings. Mark has an interesting story himself. He was suspected of murdering his wife and later discovered the prosecutor had suggested Mr Big be used on him. But the investigating police decided against it. Their view was I was nowhere near stupid enough to fall for it. Mark Stobie was working in communications for the Premier of Manitoba at the time, a pretty high-profile job. So Manitoba prosecutors consulted the prosecution branch in Alberta for an independent view on whether they should charge him. Alberta said no. But they ended up trying him anyway, and he was acquitted. After that... I went back to, to school at the age of 55 and got a PhD. He studied criminal justice, and that led him to take an interest in Mr Big Stings. He found what I found. But most academics were deeply sceptical about the use of these stings. You'd think Mark Stobie would be too, but he's not. I'm a really big fan of Mr. Big. I, I think that it's a really clever, useful investigative technique for some types of homicides and other serious crimes. He knows Mr. Big can lead to false confessions, and he thinks the stings ought to be closely scrutinised. But in the end... He thinks they bring justice to victims who are often sex workers or in the drug trade or unemployed and on the bones of their bums. A lot of them are marginalised women who are generally deemed to be kind of expendable in our society. But in a large number of the Mr Big cases, the police have gone the extra mile to crack those cases and um, give those victims the equal treatment and death that they deserve. Mark Stobie points out that while most murderers the incompetent ones, leave lots of evidence behind. Some are really good at hiding their tracks. Take Mike Bridges, who strangled and then drowned 18-year-old Erin Chornley. Oh, yeah, yeah. He wrapped her head in uh, saran wrap and her feet. The next night, he went to the local cemetery, and a um, woman had just been buried there, so he spread out cardboard and he dug up the grave and uh, buried her alongside the person who had just been buried. Filled in the grave and nobody knew where she went. Those crimes can be very, very hard to, to uh, solve. Mr. Big gets sent in on those tough cases. Once the target is picked, it's time to gather information about them. 
Here's Dr. Adelina Eftene, an assistant law professor at Dalhousie University in Canada, who's also researched Mr. Big Stings. The first stage of this operation um, involves very extensive surveillance, right? That goes over quite a few months. So they would um, they, they work with psychologists, they work with uh, um, their own forensic psychologists, and they create this profile of the individual and they watch him for for months. They know exactly where he's going, what his habits are, what his routines are, who his friends are, um, what he's doing, and. And, and then they try to, to hook him in at some point by engaging with the target and getting him into this criminal organisation. Fair to say, Dr Iftene is not a big fan of Mr Big Stings. Oh, I think there should be no Mr Big operations. For her, they exploit people's vulnerabilities and they're unreliable. Like nobody just goes up there and says, hey, let me tell you how I killed somebody. No, they're offered a lot of stuff to say that, right? Adelina Iftene is a lawyer and an academic, but she also does a lot of hands-on work on prisoners' rights, especially in healthcare, access to justice and compassionate release. She's in touch with the lives and stories of people the police have charged and convicted, so she can see how people fall for Mr Big. People receive this um, enormous amount of money, they are taken to various hotels, they are various uh, uh, restaurants, they have an amazing lifestyle, they, they're taken to strip bars. It's, it's a lifestyle they've never had before because they've been, they've been so poor. And Mr Big Stings, undercover police pay the target to do jobs, pretty simple ones like collecting debts, transporting packages or dealing in guns. Then gradually they let him, it's almost always a bloke, they let him know that many of the organisation's activities are criminal. They might help deal in forged credit cards or fake passports or help out with drug deals or burglaries. Now, what the target doesn't know is that there are no actual crimes. It's all an act by the undercover police officers. But sometimes the stage directions go out the window and the police have to frantically ad-lib. That's what happened in the case of Nelson Hart in Canada, as Mark Stobie tells us. They told him to take a train from Halifax to Montreal and deliver a briefcase. For reasons that aren't completely clear, he awakened the suspicions of the um, security in the train station and they thought he was up to no good. Uh, He probably was behaving furtively or something. So they searched him and they opened the briefcase and all there was in it was photocopier paper, which raises the question even to somebody as stupid as Nelson Hart, why his criminal associates have got him delivering photocopier paper from Halifax to Montreal, hand-delivered. So he gets to Montreal and he's puzzled. So they take him to supper in a casino, um, divert him a bit, and then they sneak into the hotel room and they substitute the handle on the case, on the briefcase, uh, When they get back to the room, they take the handle off and show them what appears to be diamonds in the handle, so everything is explained. That little break-in to Nelson Hart's room to plant the diamonds? Kind of brilliant. But also, as a judge later found, a crime. When you're using the ends to justify the means, it can be hard to know when to stop. Arguably, the police also cross the line when they use scenarios involving serious violence. They are exposed to what appears to be the undercover uh, agents 
beating other people up or killing other people or raping other people, being engaging what looks like hit and runs. They are showing him, you know, this is, you know, this is the kind of place where we like crime, where we, you're safe, you are safe, your secrets are safe with us because we also commit a lot of crimes. Um, so certainly your secrets are safe, but also we are dangerous, right? So I think th- those are the two aspects of it. Often, threats and violence are aimed at members of the gang who have been dishonest with Mr Big. Of course, it's all stage-managed and all the players are undercover officers. But Canadian police figure it's not going to hurt if the target starts sweating about what Mr Big might do to him or his family if he thinks he's being lied to. Mark Stobie tells a different story about this. He says, Although Mr Big targets often tell the courts that they were so scared of Mr Big that they just told him what he wanted to hear, when you watch the videos... They don't seem very afraid. You look at some of the video um, and they're just, I mean, completely at ease. They're happy. They're cheerful. You know, on the violent scenarios, the police, the undercover officers are having to restrain the person from doing any damage to their colleagues. Uh, (laughs) You know, they're showing up with cans of bear spray. They're showing up with weapons. They're suggesting all manner of uh, horrible tortures. Um, They're laughing and joking about it. At some point in the sting, the undercover officers usually introduce the target to a corrupt cop who's on Mr Big's payroll. That shows them Mr Big can access police investigation files and even destroy evidence. So it's going to be no surprise that Mr Big knows that the target's been accused of a crime. And if he lies to Mr Big, Mr Big's going to figure it out. The gang members tell the target again and again it's all about honesty, apart from, you know, all the crime. Most importantly, though, this lets the target know if he's got problems with the police, they can fix them. It's a powerful cocktail of inducements. This person has been groomed for for months or... Uh, sometimes years to um, to be involved in criminal activity, to make very easy money that they probably never made before, to be friends with these people that seem so strong and and um, uh, you know have their life have their life together. Um, and in addition to all of these, they he's, they are telling him that his legal problems are going to disappear. Virtually every single Mister Big scenario goes the same way in the sense that. At some point, somebody tells him, oh my gosh, we've just heard through the grapevine that they are going to arrest you again for the murder. And the person says, well, I have not committed any murders. And um, they say, well, you have, and you have to tell us what they are. And if you do, we are going to manage to, to, to get you out of it. It's such a powerful cocktail of inducements, in fact, that some people fall for the sting, even if they've heard about it before. Like one woman in Canada. She was getting Mr. Big, and she was in the car with the undercover police officer, and a radio report came on, news report about a Mr. Big trial that was underway. The suspect dissolved into laughter and demanded to know who could possibly be so stupid as to fall for that. And two weeks later, um, she was talking her way into a uh, life sentence (laughs) by explaining uh, how she had had her boyfriend killed. How do you credit that? Kids want candy, so they believe in the Easter Bunny. Anyway, soon most targets are keen to join the organisation. And one day, they get word that Mr Big wants to meet with them. Their mates in the gang say, this is it, this is your chance. Make sure you're honest. He'll know if you're not. Then Mr Big says to them, 
Look, I'm hearing good things about you. You'd be an asset to our organisation. But I understand police think you committed a murder. Now, I don't care if you did. But I need to know the truth so I can clean up any evidence. Because if it's a problem for you, then it could become a problem for me. At that point, Mr Big might also say, he knows someone dying of cancer who'll take the rap for the murder, in exchange for Mr Big looking after his family. But Mr Big needs to know all the details to make the guy's confession convincing. What's more, he could stick the guy's fingerprints on the murder weapon. He just needs to know where it is. Mr Big might also offer to help him move the body, cover up traces of blood or DNA, get rid of evidence, or switch hair samples, for example. Teach him how to beat a lie detector test. One Mr Big said he'd help the target sue the police for wrongful prosecution and expected to get him an $85,000 settlement. And then the targets will often confess, sometimes in surprising ways. When he met Mr Big, they said basically, the police tell us you're under investigation for for a homicide. And he says, which one? (laughs) And Mr Big says, how many are there? And the guy says, I'm good for four. (laughs) Sometimes they'll lead the police to the body or the murder weapon, just like Brett Cowan with Daniel Morecambe's remains. And then they'll be convicted. And it's pretty hard to tell a story where that doesn't feel like justice. In 2008, the Canadian Mounties said they'd run Mr Big operations more than 350 times. Must be many more than that now. New Zealand has used Mr Big at least six times. Australia's used it too, but it's not used in the US or Britain. How often do they succeed? Information's patchy. Adelina Iftana used Canadian Freedom of Information Law to ask the Mounties some questions about Mr Big Stings. How many do they run? How long do they usually go for? How often do they result in a confession? How often do they lead to a conviction? What's the average cost? But she didn't get very far. And their answers were simply, uh, we do not collect this kind of data. Seriously? They don't collect it? That's hard to believe. And if it's true, then as Dr Tane points out, that's pretty shocking record-keeping. It's been reported that Canadian police spent $4 million in one case and $2 million in another. Most things don't cost that much, but they're obviously not cheap. Without that information, it's hard to hold police to account for this use of money and police power. The New Zealand police wouldn't tell me those things either, They didn't say they didn't collect the information, just that giving it to me would undermine their ability to conduct police work. Still, we do have some idea of how often they work. Mark Stoby also had trouble getting information from the Mounties, but by checking public sources like Canadian court decisions, he found 126 victims whose killers he said had been brought to justice by Mr Big Stings. He says only six Mr Big targets didn't end up confessing to Mr Big. Still, many others walked away earlier, perhaps because they weren't interested in being involved in a criminal organisation. The Mounties said in a statement in 2011 that they end up bringing charges as a result of three-quarters of Mr Big Stings, and that when they bring charges, about 95% are convicted. So it looks like they collect some data. But those claims are impossible to check. All six New Zealand Stings ended up with convictions, although one was overturned on appeal. A couple of more recent studies find conviction numbers a bit lower than 95%. They're not much lower. But those studies also point out that some of the convictions turn out to be wrong. So Mr Big is such a potent technique that it can persuade people to confess when they didn't do it. And it has definitely happened. Is it all that surprising? The target has lots to gain in confessing to Mr Big. 
Money, friends, a new job, a new car, overseas holidays, legal safety. And what's he got to lose? It's not as if this criminal gang is going to tell the police. No wonder some innocent people confess. Some of the world's leading experts in the psychology of confessions think these things are dangerous and unreliable, as we'll hear in an upcoming episode. But for now, it's enough to know that some innocent people have spent years in jail. And that doesn't feel like justice at all. So that's your vanilla-flavoured Mr Big Sting. But some of the Canadian Mr Bigs add some extra toppings that might not be to everyone's taste. For example, sometimes Mr Big will also lie to the target about evidence. We've got a police memo saying they found your DNA at the crime scene. Or they'll make threats if the target doesn't confess. Adelina Eftane says police are not above exploiting other vulnerabilities too. We have seen situations where the 19-year-old target fell in love with the operative. In another case, the police found the target's girlfriend was too controlling. She was getting in the way. So they persuaded him to dump her for another woman who was another undercover operative. Police will also sometimes exploit family relationships. The father of the target, the long-lost father, was brought to actually uh, convince his 16-year-old son to confess to a crime in exchange for his, him being a father figure for him. Another Mr Big Sting had a $1,500 budget for alcohol, which was spent on their target, who was a recovering alcoholic. And in the Mr Big interview itself, there have been times when Mr Big uses heavier tactics. He might say, look, you know some bad things about me? You know I've killed. I need something on you that's just as bad so I can trust you. Other times, Mr Big will say, you can join the organisation, but only if you can prove to me that you've got the ability to kill. To be fair, the Canadian police seem to be moving away from such extreme tactics after some disapproving court decisions. But the New Zealand police have always used a gentler version of Mr Big. There's no honey trap, no real threats of violence, no lies about evidence, not much actual pay. This was the version that New Zealand's undercover team was considering when Whanganui police asked them to run a sting on David Little. You might be wondering how police make those decisions. I was too. But we don't know, because the police have refused to release their guidelines and policies on Mr Big, even to David Little's lawyers. My guess is that those policies say that Mr Big can only be used for serious crimes, usually murder. It'd have to be solid evidence against the target, even though it wasn't enough to prove guilt beyond reasonable doubt. The final decision's probably taken by someone very senior, after weighing up likely budget, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars, and staff availability. I'm guessing it might also turn on the persuasiveness and clout of the police officer who's asking for the sting, but that won't be in the policy. Most of all, they'd need to be confident the target was the sort of person who'd be susceptible to being conned like this. Maybe someone who needs money, not especially sophisticated, doesn't have many friends. Someone like David Little. So sometime around the beginning of 2014, the Mr Big Sting on David Little gets the green light. Mr Little meets Mr Big is an RNZ production, written and presented by me, Stephen Price, with support from Victoria University of Wellington and the Michael and Suzanne Boren Foundation. Justin Gregory and Katie Gossett are the executive producers. Tim Watkin is the executive producer of podcasts and series for RNZ. Thanks to sound engineers Blair Stagpool, Phil Benge, Mark Chesterman, Rani Powick and William Saunders. Jeremy Ansell and Steve Burridge are the Auckland and Wellington operations team leaders. Music composed and performed by Ebony Lamb and Graham Antler. Images by Ebony Lamb. Artwork and design by Jared Bishop and RNZ. 
You can listen and follow all RNZ podcasts at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.